My name is Keith Beavers, and I found out the average human blinks 4,200,000 times a year. I wonder if that factors in people who have cats. If you know, you know. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. Yeah, that's right. How you doing? Today, we're going to talk about this term, residual sugar. Again, it's one of these terms you hear a lot, but what does it even mean? And how does it affect you as a consumer? Let's dive into that. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Barefoot Wine. There's nothing wrong with having a little sweet tooth, right? Residual sugar adds depth and complexity to a wine, and it's no different with Barefoot's Cabernet Sauvignon. Gracing your dinner table for more than five decades, Barefoot Cabernet Sauvignon is accessible and reliable when it comes to mealtime. Residual sugar. It's a term that is becoming more and more common throughout the wine speaking world. I don't know. Am I saying that right? I mean, wine language in the public, people that like you and I that are out there, we're not scientists, we're not, you know, vine growers, we're, we're just consumers. We drink wine and we enjoy it. And as wine has become more and more popular and as organics and biodynamics and, and, and sort of sustainability has become more popular, the constituents that make up wine seem to be also popular in that when you go online and you're looking at wines you want to buy, let's say you're doing an e-commerce, you, you want to look at a wine. Every, oft, often, when you look at the item of the wine before you put it in your cart, there's a bunch of information about the wine and you'll see pH levels and alcohol levels, but you also sometimes see the RS level, which means residual sugar. Now, the thing about this is it's not it's not really that important for you as a consumer to know the RS or residual sugar of a wine to what that should not be what makes you buy a wine or not or enjoy a wine or not because residual sugar in a wine is just there and the winemaker and their skill and expertise in working with this thing called residual residual sugar should just yield a really great wine. But as when you know about what it is, then you see it on that item list before you put it in your car. You're like, oh, okay, well, at least I know what that means. So that when you taste the wine, you can just kind of think about it. So let's get into this. So sugars in general, it's complicated. But I want to quote the Oxford Wine Companion here, Jedi wine master Jancis Robinson to kind of get a, just a, a quick sense, general sense of this because it goes deeper than this statement, but I, this statement really kind of sets up what I want to talk about. Sugars are simpler members of the large group of natural organic chemical compounds called carbohydrates. Okay. That's what sugars are. It's very sciencey and there's a lot more involved with that, but we just want to leave it there as a foundation for this. The, the common sugar that we know is called sucrose. And sucrose comes from sugarcane and beets. And you'll remember that from our uh, the chaptalization episode. 
it's an international commodity. It's sugar that was once called sweet salt for people who had no idea what they were eating. It's pretty amazing. Okay, so plants produce sucrose through photosynthesis. And a lot of plants accumulate the sucrose and they store it in their cells. But other plants, specifically the grapevine and specifically Vitis vinifera, will reduce sucrose into its two constituent, constituent parts, glucose and fructose. And that is stored in the berry, not the cells. This is a really good example to kind of show the difference between American grapevines and Vitis vinifera. American vines, the American genus of winemaking grapes, does all does this as well, but also can store some sucrose in the berry. Okay, that's you know that 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 adds a whole other level of available sugar for fermentation, because this is what happens when you crush those grapes. You know, you have must right that then becomes wine. That those fructose and glucose sugars are in the berry. So they break open and they're just waiting for yeast to come in, start eating that sugar and fermenting it into alcohol and carbon dioxide because fructose and glucose are fermentable sugars. Okay. After fermentation has finished, if there are any fermentable sugars left over in the wine, in addition to what are called reducing sugars, which is a term used by the EU to define sugars that just are not readily fermentable by yeast, that total quantity is called residual sugar. And we're going to talk about this in a future episode, like coming up very soon, but the amount of sugar in the must can give the winemaker an idea of the resulting alcohol in the wine. And there's different scales of weighing that. There's Bohm, Oshel, and Bricks. We're going to do an episode on that very soon. Okay, so residual sugar, the total amount, is usually measured in grams of total sugars per liter in a wine. And it can vary. It's a pretty wide variance. It can be as low as one gram per liter, which is about 0.1%. 0.1%, and up to 150 grams a liter, which is 15% or more, sometimes 25%. I mean, this thing can go way up. There's a very famous account of the 1947 vintage in Hungary for, um, for Tokai, where it clocked in at 488 grams per liter. Damn. Now, residual sugar within the spectrum of grams per liter does and can add sweetness or perceived sweetness in a wine. Also coupled with a high alcohol in a wine, which was basically fermented. The result of fermenting sugar, high alcohol can sometimes perceive as sweet along with the residual sugar. But not all RS or residual sugar is perceived as sweetness. Most of the wines out there that you taste or sip that don't really have or perceive as sweet 
will have probably less than two grams per liter of residual sugar. It doesn't really go much lower than that. I do. I will say in Michigan, I did have a Gewurztraminer, which was very, very reduced with RS. And on the label, it said no RS Gewurztraminer. And it was wild. I mean, it was dry. It was cool. But the thing is about dry is even though a wine can have a significant amount of residual sugar, like Riesling, even it can go up to like 25 grams per liter, if there's a ton of acidity, the residual sugar and the perceived sweetness will not really be that perceived because the acidity is compensating for that and not allowing the wine to be too sweet. Now, this comes down to a lot of factors. It depends on the grape that's being made into wine. It depends on the yeast that's being chosen to do the job, whether it's an ambient yeast or a cultured yeast. It depends on the potency of that yeast strain. Also, the must itself and what kind of micronutrients are available in the must for growth of yeast cells and other constituents. Also, at what temperature does this wine start and be made at? For example, low temperature can kind of arrest fermentation as well as chemical additives can arrest fermentation like more sugar. And it comes down to the person making the wine, their expertise, their skill. Because what's happening here is, I don't know if, I don't know if you're getting a sense of this, but like residual sugar is just one of the many parts that make wine awesome. And it's just one of those elements that needs to be um, monitored and maybe sometimes controlled, but not always, to allow the other constituents in the wine, acidity, alcohol, everything else, to come into balance. And it's up to the person making the wine to make sure all of that is in harmony, which makes a beautiful wine. So that's residual sugar. Now, I wanna end with this. If we talked, earlier I said, residual sugar is the total amount of sugars in a wine, mostly reducing sugars, but also can be for some reason, fermentable sugars that were not fermented during the fermenting process. This is where wine gets a little off. And you notice this a lot when people say they're making quote unquote natural wine. No such thing as natural wine. When they're doing this, if the wine is made in a very low intervention way and not monitored enough. You can make low and inter minimal intervention wine, but you really got to work at it. But if in the, in the event that through the low intervention, these fermentable sugars make it into the bottle, they are used by yeast and bacteria to produce acetic acid, which brings a sour character to a wine and then off flavors because What's happening here is there is a process that should have been happening during the fermentation process is happening inside the bottle. And another thing that it produces is CO2. So therefore, if you've ever had a wine, it's usually a red wine, sometimes white, and you're sipping it and you're like, it's a little sour and also 
is this supposed to be a bubbly? Cause I'm getting, is it, is there bubbles in this thing? Is there supposed to be a still red wine? What's up? That's because there was fermentable sugars in the bottle at bottling and there's bacteria and yeast interacting with that sugar and doing what science and nature does to produce these off aromas. So just to let you know, that's what's happening. So you got photosynthesis, you got sucrose that splits into glucose and fructose. It goes into the berries. The berries get smashed. The yeast starts eating the glucose and the fructose, turning it into alcohol and carbon dioxide. And then whatever's left over is residual sugar. Yeah. So now you guys know. I mean, you got an idea. I mean, again, these numbers you see on websites and stuff, it's a guide, but it does not reflect the quality of the wine so much. The winemaker making the wine is what reflects the quality of the wine and what they do in the vineyard and the winery to make good stuff. But now you know. And coming up, we're going to be talking about bricks and how all this stuff comes together. But in the meantime, I'll talk to you guys next week. Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. Ian J. Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.